You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. With that, I'm going to invite up uh, my dear friend Dom Orlando, and uh, Dom is the uh, chair of our elder board, and uh, as he's doing that, I just want to remind you in your giving, thank you so much for the ways that you faithfully and consistently give to this church, and you see the different ways you can do it. There's boxes in the back if you want to drop checks, text, or give online. But the reason I brought Dom up is we've been trying to go, we've got to find a way in which we as a church and can point you in directions of how can we help tangibly Ukraine. And so here's what we're, we're, we're kind of thinking. Why don't you kind of just sort of present the, the formative thoughts. I'll jump in if there's anything I can add. So uh, we want to make a gift to Ukraine. Um, and we know that oftentimes the first wave of kind of... Um, gifts and stuff is pretty heavy and everything like that. But um, regardless, however that typically pans out, we want to be a part of that. And so we we were kind of looking like, how do we do that? You know, because we want to make sure that any money that we have isn't kind of wrapped up into kind of, you know, operational costs and things like that. And it just turns out that um, our sister church, um, the Redeemer Anglican, um, who we helped plant. Which um, worships right after us at 11 here. Right after us, yeah. Um, and they're also 10 minutes late, so don't feel guilty. Um, I'm joking. They, they have um, a denomination all throughout the world. And so that was kind of our venue, right? So you talked to Rob and... Yeah, they have a, they have a, a fund that... So here's what we're thinking we'll do. The elders, we have a cash reserve fund, and this is an emergency in the world, and we want to support the churches. So we have a reserve fund. Whatever you want to give between today and next Sunday, this, the elder board from Faith Community Church will match it up to $5,000. In addition, whatever we give as a church will be joined with Redeemer Anglican, and whatever they give will also be matched up to $100,000 by an Anglican church in Virginia who is also partnering in this. So any dollar you're going to give is going to get doubled. So in the next couple of weeks, and by the way, the reason we're doing it this way is we want to try to drill down as close as we can to real needs that are trusted. So the Anglican mission knows of churches in Ukraine, and they're trying to work in terms of like humanitarian aid and stuff and get these funds directly on the ground where the needs are through churches. Yeah. So just, I I guess, finally, (laughs) go ahead. No, I'm just passing it off. Back to you, Dave. (laughs) So be praying about it, whatever you want to give, if you want to write checks. Oh, what, what's yeah. the menu online? So, so um, we were able to uh, have a drop down on the giving that said. Um, on our website. Yeah. So it, we did it like right before church and technology broke it. And so we were trying to put a Ukraine thing in there. So you may see one that says Ukraine and the other one is Chad. I can't remember. Outreach. Outreach. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So if, if you could either give to Outreach or to Ukraine, it'll get to the spot you want it to go. And you have until next Sunday. So pray about yeah. it at home. Decide whatever you yeah. want to do. And that's important. Yeah, this is uh, a limited time gift because they're matching funds. And so um, just be praying about it. Yeah. Well, one other thing while you're up here, we've been saying a lot of goodbyes over these last uh, months. And we have another goodbye. Uh, this is a guy. I'll let you talk talk about him and then invite him up. <laughs> this is a guy. All right, we say that at work a lot. Um, Brian, why don't you come on up? Come on up, Brian. Brian Shepard. Right here, hand. buddy. So, 
you, By you the may... way, they're not clapping because you're leaving. They're clapping for you. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, just to be clear, if you're happy that he's leaving, clap. No one. See? Okay. Glad that's clear. Okay, you, this may be the first time you've seen Brian because he is the yeah. master at everything behind the scenes. Yep. And we have served together, him and I, for years. In fact, he was part of the original setup team, kind of even at the Rio. Um, he was involved in, like... Ankle gate, we called it, right? Yeah. Remember where you accidentally broke Bill Fletcher's ankle? Yeah. But it wasn't intentional. <laughs> and so he's healed emotionally, too. Um, you know, so things that I you... Think ex- he forgave us. He, yeah, he, he did forgive us, yeah. <laughs> but um, for years and years and years and years, like, you come to worship and certain things are done. And you may not even know. And it's mainly because of Brian, largely in part. There's other people too, but he's been so faithful and he's served with honor and distinction for many, many years. And his family is moving to um, Minnesota, which I checked. The weather is a balmy negative 27 last week, but it's actually zero now. So it's warming. Um, So that's good. Um, But we, brother, are going to miss you with our whole hearts. not just for what you do, but you have reflected the heart of Christ in everything that you do. And we just love you. So, so I want to encourage people, if you know Brian, come on up. Let's lay hands on him in a positive way. And uh, Dom's going to pray a blessing. You want to step down here so it's easier for people to kind of get near you. And we just want to pray a blessing for you as we send you off. Go ahead, Dom. Father, thank you so much um, for people like Brian because they lift us up. Um, Yes, they do things, but it's more of the reason that they do things. Um, It's not about works, but it's about his heart, and his heart is good, and it reflects you. And, Father, we love him, and we send him off um, to Minnesota, and we just ask that you would keep him and his family safe. Um, and the reasons he's moving are for family. So we just ask that you would protect them, that they would find a new church home um, in our extended family in Minnesota. And, Father, that he would also um, be light to them there. And, Father, we love him. And uh, he's always welcome to come back and stay at Andy Lewis's house. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> Free of charge. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, Dave, go ahead. I wanted to say one quick thing. Most, A lot of you may not know this, but Brian's father, uh, Fred, used to be the pastor at the Nazarene Church before Pastor Wilcox. And our fellowship hall is named Shepherd Hall after Pastor Fred and his family. So. And now it's named after Brian, now that he's leaving. Yeah. It's brand new Brian. Brian. So... All right. Well, hey, uh, I want to encourage you to get, keep, hold your Bible, hold it there at First Kings chapter 19, and we're going to kind of get started. As Tara said a minute ago, we're now in the season of Lent, um, which is an important season. It's a season where in the traditions of the church, God's people enter into a time of active waiting, which is kind of a weird phrase, right? Active waiting. But active waiting as we're preparing our hearts to celebrate the passion of Jesus Christ, as well as his incredible victory over sin and death on Easter. And so the active waiting experience, the tradition is it lasts 40 days. Some of you may know this, some of you may not, but you might have run into a couple people this week who had kind of like a black plus sign or cross on their head on Wednesday because that this last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. 
And Lent goes from Ash Wednesday all the way up till resurrection morning, Easter Sunday. And believers, and maybe this is some of you have already kind of, kind of even been participating in this, is that we become more mindful normally of being introspective about the reality of our condition. We really become deeply thoughtful about the fact of our sin, the condition of our state that took the Son of God across heaven to earth to go to a cross and to take on himself the consequences of our sins. So it's a time, traditionally, we're deeply introspective. And it's also a time where believers fast, which is like, it's hard. But to fast from something, we fast from food. Or some, maybe maybe it's beverages. One year I did coffee. I don't highly recommend that. Um, technology, social media. But they enter into a fast to heighten the state of mindfulness and to leave room for God to sort of rush in to satisfy the hunger that's not being quenched by you fasting. Uh, here's actually a good description of Lent. It comes from a Benedictine sister, Joanne Chittister. She writes this. She says, Lent is a call to renew a commitment grown dull by a life more marked by routine than reflection. That's, tra- that's traditional Lent. That's what we usually do. But I want to tell you this, even though I share you this beautiful quote about what Lent is normally, we're not going to do at Faith Community Church the mindfulness and deep introspection of sin. We're not going to do the renewal of a commitment grown dull kind of Lenten experience this year. And let me kind of try to explain why. Just try for a moment to consider and let your body even feel what emotions, well, let your body feel how you react and the emotions that swell up. As I go through the list of the things that we have been through in the last two years. Remember that we have, in the last couple of years, we've had to shelter in place, like literally live in caves in our homes for extended weeks and months. That was weird and hard. We couldn't get toilet paper. We couldn't use the beaches and trails and parks for our, of our county, sometimes for weeks on end. We were told we can't even walk outside. We had, have now, as of today, I just checked, we've had 253 local people, one of whom is a pastor who once took me to lunch and encouraged me, who lost their lives to COVID in our county. We've had our lives constantly redefined and, and be re, rethought about wearing and not wearing masks and the stresses about masks and not wearing masks piled on us as there was all kinds of opinions about masks. And we watched an eight minute and 46 second video of George Floyd losing his life on a street in Minneapolis followed by the explosion of rage and the deep divisions that come from that event. And some of us are triggered if I say George Floyd was murdered on the streets, and some of you would be triggered if I don't say that he was murdered on the streets. And just that sentence describes for you the divisions and the tensions that we're in, that, that just, just that sentence, how I described it. We had a night of 100 lightning strikes, We had to flee our homes, many of us. Ash fell from the sky. Three church families lost everything. Burned the ground, gone. 
family mementos gone, the sky turning an acrid orange, orange, me learning a whole new app on my phone to go, should I go outside and breathe the air today? Never used that app before. Hospitals overflowing in our county as we went through one and then two and then three and then four COVID surges and lockdowns. The American capital assaulted and feeling, and even now we feel it, the fragility that was in, it's more fragile than we ever knew of our domestic peace. Some of us in the last two years have buried loved ones. Some of us have had dark stuff in us come to the surface as the crisis has squeezed the deeper stuff in us up to the surface. And we're like, what is that? And we've seen dark stuff come to the surface in our marriages. And almost all of us have to drive so much more carefully because you don't know that one wrong move, somebody might pull a gun on you because everybody on the planet is that much more easily triggered in their emotions. All of us. We've all come to this place where in some kind of state of just being spent and frayed, all of us. So I ask you as the pastor of this church, do you have a lot of the emotional energy for deep spiritual introspection about your sin right now? Do you have a lot of room to rigorously look at a commitment that's grown dull in your spiritual life? I don't think so. So our Lent is not going to be that. Our Lent is going to be a time of mindfulness about the reality of our frayed condition. That's what this Lent's going to be for us. Even though Lent is, like I said, it's usually a time of this introspection and getting back on track with God and seeing the ways that we haven't been on track with God. For us, it's going to be a time to be attentive to our deep need for renewal. And so that's why we're starting this series that we're calling, I Can't Even. I Can't Even. I Can't Even is what we say in our culture when we got nothing left. We have nothing left to give. We're going to explore what happened when our God meant a burnt out prophet named Elijah. Burnt out. To see what did God do to meet him and love him and renew him. That's what we're going to do at Lent at Faith Community Church. If that's okay with you, that's where we're going. So if you have your Bible, keep your thumb there in 1 Kings 19.1. Now before I read the text, let me introduce you to the prophet Elijah. Who the Jews viewed as the great hero of the Old Testament. One of the top two. If you were to ask the Jewish people in kind of the real time of where the Old Testament was being written, who were like the top two biblical heroes, the, the heroes of the faith, where the, the little boys would have posters on their wall? Elijah would be one of them, and the other one would be Moses. I mean, he was like top two biblical hero. And in this time, if you look back at 1 Kings 18, and I highly encourage you to read it this afternoon, at that time, Israel, well, let me even back up a little bit. At this time in Israel's history, the nation had been divided in north and south. It was a, kind of a mess, kind of a, 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 a bad thing. And the south was called the nation of Judah, and the north was called Israel. This is happening in the north. And the, na- the northern nation, Israel, they mostly were worshiping Queen Jezebel's state-sanctioned gods and goddesses of Baal and Asherah. If you get into it and you read it, it's disturbing, it's violent, deeply sexualized, demonic, really bad stuff. 
and it was state-sanctioned. But Elijah, the prophet of Yahweh God, the God above all gods, he called for a showdown between Baal and Asherah and Yahweh God. He called for a showdown where solitary Elijah, one prophet, the, for the God of all gods, stood with, get these numbers, here's the, here's the, the, the scale, 450 prophets of Baal and Asherah. And it was going to be the spiritual Super Bowl. And it was the spiritual Super Bowl. It was on this mountain, on Mount Carmel. And Elijah basically laid out, here's the terms. He said this, I'm saying it is time for you, the people of Israel, to stop wavering in your opinions between which God is really your God. Because there was a lot of wavering. It's like, well, yeah, we'll do the Baal and Asher thing, mostly. We'll do a little bit of the Yahweh God thing, just in case, just kind of hedge our bets. All that was going on. And Elijah says, here's the thing. You decide. And tonight, on this mountain, you're going to decide. You pick which God you're going to serve. And so here's the deal. Each side gets a bowl and an altar. And the God who answers with fire from heaven and comes down and consumes the bull on the altar, that's the real God. Everybody good with this? And everybody said, yeah, that sounds really interesting. We want to watch that competition. So Elijah was a gentleman, and he let the 450 prophets of Baal and Asherah, they got to go first. He's like, you guys go first. And so starting in the morning on Mount Carmel, all until noon, 450 prophets were shouting and screaming at Baal. And by the way, Mount Carmel was home field advantage. That was where it was considered Baal's kind of home turf was. And Baal, by the way, should have been easy because Baal was known as the god of lightning and thunder and storms. And so this should have been pretty easy. But they scream, and from morning until noon, crickets, no response, nothing. At noon, Elijah got a little full of himself, and he started to taunt them. At the noon hour. And he said to them, he said, hey, maybe Baal's busy. And he's just too busy. He can't hear you. Or maybe he went out on a vacation. Or maybe, and this is where the English translation just can't quite go there, where the actual original Hebrew language goes. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. You guys need to try harder. He's distracted. And so he taunts them. And then from noon until evening, they cried louder and they cried louder. And then they start pulling out blades and they pull out knives and they pull out swords and they start gashing themselves till the blood starts bleeding, running red in front of the altar. You can read about it. It's in 1 Kings 18. And they start bleeding crickets, nothing, Not, no response on Baal's home turf, the God of thunder and lightning. Then it was Elijah's turn. And he dug a pit around the altar, and he had people bring giant jars of water and douse the entire thing running down into the pit around the altar. And he had them do it one time with water, and a second time with water, and a third time with water till it was dripping wet. He didn't gash himself, he didn't scream. Just in front of everybody, solitary prophets stood there and said, God, let it be known that you're the one true God. So these people will know it's true and turn their hearts back to you. He barely finishes the prayer and instantly fire falls from heaven. And it consumed the bull and all the wood and all the stones of the altar. Licked it up like it was a dog licking up a bowl of water. Gone. 
And in that instant, people fell in their nostrils into the dirt and cried out, Yahweh, he's God. Yahweh, he's God. This was the great prophet, hero prophet, that all Jewish children and all Jewish people most revered, his greatest moment against great evil and his greatest victory in his Hall of Fame Old Testament ministry life. Now let's listen to what follows. This is our text for this morning. 1 Kings 19 verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Oh yeah, that happened too. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came to a broom bush He sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. Whoa, what happened to this guy? Elijah would have liked to think what you and I usually like to think, particularly those of us who've grown up in the Western culture, he wanted to believe that, that that big shock and awe success was going to immediately translate into full resolution of all the nation's problems. Like, okay, God licked up the altar, everything's solved. And he desperately wanted and he desperately needed a spectacular win on Mount Carmel to immediately turn the people back to the one true God and to immediately make King Ahab, the little, little man Ahab, and his evil wife Jezebel to run away in fear and then leave the throne. That's what he wanted. That's what he needed. He was expecting and hoping that. But we read in the text, Jezebel, unlike her very little, little man husband, Ahab, she was a very, very strong woman. Sadly strong in her commitment to her evil. And so she threatened to kill Elijah. I'll have you assassinated. Elijah, the the great hero of the Jews. I mean, remember, this is the great hero of the top two heroes in the Old Testament. Ran in fear. Like, right after this whole thing's over. Have you ever read this passage and go, what? What? What happened to him? Mr. Taunter on the mountain to run away as far as he could get. Let's take a closer look at Elijah's humanity. Maybe we see a few little factors. One is this. He had a fair amount of pride. We see his pride in his taunts of the prophets of Baal. He had a long, good track record of God backing him up in spectacular ways. And so we see some of his pride in the taunts. If you have your Bible cracked open, I encourage you to even read a little later on in chapter 19. We're going to study more of this, but if you look at verse 10 and you look at verse 14, we see some of that weak pride in him when he says, I'm the only good guy who follows you anymore, God. I'm the only one. I am the only, I'm the it. I'm the only good guy left. We see his pride. And of course, as we all know, the deeper narrative of pride is insecurity. We also see that he had a fair amount of dependence on the spectacular in his prophetic career. 
I mean, he, he, he'd seen uh, more than you and I had, uh, would ever see in our lifetime. He had seen Yahweh, God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Old Testament, do one spectacular thing after another in his prophetic career. Man, I mean, if you think about it, you have those experiences, and if that experience can make you almost always expect spectacular big wins, it can make you almost always expect big wins to immediately produce transformational results, like snapping a finger. Everything's better. It can make you expect that. It can also make you almost always forget that God doesn't always work in spectacle. But more often, God chooses to work in the shadows. God works in the quiet places, and God works in small people humbly responding to him and obeying him. You can almost quickly forget that. And so the all-too-human Elijah runs towards isolation, which is, by the way, a little note. That's what mentally and emotionally spent people tend to do, <laughs> to run towards isolation. And in a desert, he ends up in a desert a long ways away, long ways away from the north of Israel. And he cries out to God in prayer. And he just says to God, kill me now. I'm no better than my ancestors. And I dug around. What is he saying there? And I, I found out it's a cultural way of saying, I'm ready to join my ancestors. He's saying to God, kill me now. I'm ready to go into the dust like my ancestors. I'm done. I'm out. Kill me. He spent in the work of his prophetic ministry. And by the way, it was after a great victory. And by the way, for all of you who are here, don't be surprised if sometimes the lowest moments in your life in your walk with God come right after the biggest victories of your life because you spent everything in that victory. He gave everything he had on Mount Carmel and he had arrived at the point of being emotionally mentally, physically, spiritually frayed. And so for Elijah, just like it happens for you and I, the truths of God and his confidence in God that were once so clear and so true to him in the light now became very questionable in the dark. And the deeper issues in him and the deeper frailties within him, it all rose to the surface as it does when we face crisis. And here's what I want us to see as we start this study at Lent, and that's this. Be encouraged. Even heroes of the faith unravel. Does that encourage you? Even top two Old Testament heroes of the faith come completely unraveled to the point of saying, I mean it, God, kill me. I'm done. I want you to be encouraged. There's nothing wrong with you. If you're spent, there's nothing wrong with you. If you're emotionally frazzled, if you're mentally foggy, if you're spiritually weak, there's nothing wrong with you. Normal human beings placed under excessive stress end up exactly the way we're all feeling. It's normal. And Elijah shows us, right, as we're reading this text, that heroes of the faith can unravel when placed under excessive stress and can become weak of spirit following even the greatest of victories. And by the way, more than saying there's, there's nothing wrong with you, 
I, let, me, let me just help to normalize. It is normal for your body to feel the impact of two years of great stress. That's normal. It's normal for your mind to fog under long periods of duress. It's normal. It's normal for your emotions to grow raw from life constantly piling on and piling on. It is normal to be, have your spirit grow weak from the surrounding physical and emotional fatigue that's constantly coming at you and your spirit's like, I don't have space for anything except survive. If a Bible hero like Elijah can unravel, well, that says some things to you and me about our normal lives. And I'm going to say some things that you're going to go, why do they pay you the big bucks to say this kind of stuff? I mean, these are like no-duh statements, Andy. I know they're no-duh statements, but they're statements that somebody needs to say to take the pressure out of the insides of us. So here's what I'm going to say. <laughs> it is normal to feel beat down when life beats you down. Talk about no-duh, right? It's normal to have nothing left when you have nothing left to give. It's normal to be mentally flooded and have decision fatigue when events in life have flooded your mind to overflowing and you can't make any more decisions. You're just out of it. It's normal to feel weak when everything that has filled your soul and strengthens you has been removed for long periods of time. I'm trying to say it's normal to be human. It's okay to be human. It's okay to be human. So here's the deal. Um, this week hasn't exactly been a normal week of study and prayer for me, as I had originally thought it might be, going into the preparation for this message for our people to gather for worship. I can honestly say this last week, I went through some similar highs and extreme lows like Elijah just in the last seven days of my own life. Monday started great. I mean, you know, it was a wonderful morning. Our staff recognized we're all spent. We're all afraid. And we have, there's some collective wisdom in the staff to say, why don't we have a Monday where we don't have staff meetings? We get away to a beautiful place. We take a deep breath. We pray together. And we talk about what's God saying to us. And then have a, a good, good lunch together. And that was, a, that was great. Was like, Thank you, Jesus. And then on Tuesday night, Tuesday afternoon into the evening, I got to spend time with 40 other Bay Area ministry leaders who've also been beat up with life piling on during this pandemic by a ministry called Soul Care, who was just attending to our spirits and our hearts. And we had a beautiful time of communion together and worship together. And we felt deeply loved by Jesus and by these people who are serving us. That was my high for the week. But as I drove home from this high moment at about 8 o'clock on Tuesday night, my phone lit up, bing, right on the dashboard, and I could see it. And I didn't answer it because I was driving. Just a reminder, we don't want to do that while we're driving. So I didn't answer it. But the phone lit up, and then it lit up again, and then it lit up again. And I could see it was my dad's neighbor across the street in Livermore, and my spidey sense sort of went off, and I reluctantly answered the, the phone to hear my dad's neighbor across the street say, Hey, Andy, do you, your, your dad is at the front door of his house. 
So here's the thing. I've been going through it with my dad. Many of you know this. It's like uh, back in June, he, had, he went septic, went to the hospital, and I was told at the hospital that he's not going to survive even if you put him in an ambulance to bring him home. I said, I made a promise to my dad. He wants to go home to be with Jesus in his home. Let's try. We got him home. He made it home. We started 24-hour care, and his body <laughs> just kept chugging. And his body has continued to chug. And for eight months, he was under hospice care until hospice back in last month or January called me and said, "Um, your dad's going to graduate from hospice. And I'm like, that's a thing? Yeah, yeah, it's good. And yet emotionally, like, what do I do with that? Like, yes, okay, but I thought graduating mean that they went home to be with Jesus. Like, he's still here. Like, so now what, what do, uh, and so my brother Mark and I had to do the mad scramble to try to find him a place. And we found a, a home that's an assisted living facility because his dementia has now, his doctor's now calling it Alzheimer. And then we went and we found this memory care facility and we got moved, him moved. And last Friday, Alita and my brother Mark and I, we swooped in and with the help of his caregiver, Got him out of the house. We brought in a U-Haul. We pulled out and curated the things that would be he, we thought he'd like from his home. Put it in the U-Haul. Took it across town. Moved it into a 15 by 15 foot room. And then he walked in three hours later. And we got him in. He said, thank you, Jesus. He's in. He's safe. He's okay. We actually did it. My dad's safe. He's not going to leave this place. Until I got the call at 8 p.m. on Tuesday night that he had escaped. He'd left and he had escaped. And as I went through the next days of shock, with, of course, the background of the horrifying news in Ukraine and the sleepless night that I went through on the phone, begging with him and the staff, trying to get him back in the facility, relief that he got back and the anger and the rage that I had towards the facility and the emergency safety meeting with the staff and everything that I've had to do, I felt... Like, Elijah, shoot me now. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And, I, and in that space, I, I quietly had to remind myself of the simple things like breathe, breathe. To be gentle with myself and accept that normal human beings feel the way I'm feeling under the situation that I was in. And that I needed, I needed to start the conversation and to continue the conversation with God as Alita and I crawled through the poop sandwich of the week. And I want to say thank you to Denise Mickle in the back for being an angel with, uh, from Jesus sitting with us in that emergency care meeting advocating for my dad from her professional vantage point. Thank you for the people of God. I want you to be encouraged Because even heroes of the faith come unraveled. I'm not saying I'm a hero of the faith to you. I'm just saying we all come unraveled. And what I want you to hear from my own story is the importance for all of us. Gently accept your unraveled state and start the conversation there. You know, as we gaze at Elijah, let's take a look at Elijah. We see a few things. We notice Elijah, he didn't beat himself down or beat himself up for how he was feeling. At least in the text, we don't read him telling himself churchy things like, you should do this, you should have done that better. 
He just allowed himself to run. He just ran. And he ran towards solitude and to honestly feel and express exactly how he felt. He was unafraid to just say, I'm done. I kill me. But I also want you to see that Elijah expressed his honest and raw self to God. That's an important two words. To God. If you look at the text, the text doesn't say, He sat down under a tree and posted his pain on Facebook. It doesn't say that in in the passage. It doesn't say he sat down under a tree and called his mom for emotional support. Here's what it says in the text. He sat down under a tree and prayed. It was not a Sunday school prayer because the next words out of his mouth, the prayer was kill me. But he prayed. He didn't try to shine up his thoughts. He didn't try to shine up his feelings. He started the conversation where he actually was in his heart. And he told God exactly how he felt and exactly what he was thinking. That's where the conversation has to start. So think about this for yourself and how this might be a big and a healthy first step in your life wherever you're at. I I know I'm looking at everybody here and I love you. That we're all in some state of being spent and frayed. Don't beat yourself up. Be kind to yourself. Be gentle with yourself. Don't should yourself, which is what church culture is bad at making us do. Don't should yourself into thinking better thoughts and feeling better feelings. Allow yourself the room that you need to find some solitude, some safe space, whatever that looks like for you to honestly express exactly how you're feeling and direct those raw feelings to God. Though, I, I, yeah, I, I totally get it. Our brains are, have been created by God to love dopamine hits within our brain. And that is why it is so difficult with us in social media. I, I get our brains love the dopamine hit we get from an immediate phone call with a mom or a friend. And the dopamine hit we get with social media sympathy. But what we most need is to pour out our hearts to God. And we most need to start where we actually are. And I think, I think a lot of us end up in this place where we, um, we don't start a conversation with God because we want to get to another place first. Like further down the road, I kind of want to clean myself up a little bit and have nicer things to say uh, or, or expect that we should be in some kind of other place per, 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 first. Like some, just some better place where we're just more put together and we think, okay, when I get there, then I'll start talking to God. No, no. Lay it all out to God in real time, in real space, in real talk, where you're at now. Jesus will meet you where you're at now and talk. And I'm going to keep laying this out there, and I have been for months. Maybe God wants to meet you along with a therapist, a licensed family therapist. And there's a lot of people in this church who've never gone to counseling. And I'm like, I think it's time you learn a new trick. 
Go to a therapist. Maybe God wants you to meet with a therapist to really explore things. And I've been telling you this. If you are a member of this church, the elders of this church are going to front load up to 400 bucks to help you see a Christian counselor so you can start the conversation. And I will say to you who are members of this church, if you've never been to counseling, why are you passing by 400 free bucks to go have a conversation about your spiritual walk with somebody who's going to listen to you and create a safe space for you? Contact me, please. I'm going to invite the Nye family to come on up. And I love three generations. Grandpa, mom, dad, and grandchild coming to lead us in worship. Um, And as they come up, I just want to hear some words from Jesus. Jesus made us this promise in Matthew 11, 28. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Of course, that food That'll taste so good, that that drink that you can have, that prime purchase that'll get there by the end of the day, the social media sympathy, the phone a friend, it brings some help. It does. It brings some soothing. But those things are not going to provide the sustainable rest for the soul that Jesus offers. Let's start the journey towards rest for our souls and take Jesus at his word by coming to him. Everybody, including biblical heroes like Elijah, come unraveled. So please be gentle with yourself. Accept that your unraveled state is a normal thing to be feeling and experiencing after what you've been through. Start the conversation with God as raw as it needs to be as it begins and just keep talking. And next week, come back. Because we're going to see more of how God in his own way meets and loves Elijah as he opens up to talk to see what does that tell us about us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are deeply compassionate and you let us blurt out really, really raw things that maybe even five minutes later we're like, no, 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 I don't really mean that. But you let us start where we're at, feeling what we're actually feeling. God, make this season of Lent a time of renewal, a time of being extra loved, and feeling an extra experience of your outpouring of your grace and kindness in our lives because we all really, really need it. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.